Good evening, everybody. Um, there, there's not a passage to read because in chapters 1 through 9, Solomon is trying to teach his son, so he takes it lesson by lesson. And when you get to chapter 10, from 10 to 31, most of it is this subject, that subject, this subject, that subject, this subject, that. So uh, we're going to start with uh, topics in Proverbs. And since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, it's the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of understanding, I figured that would be a good place to start. So let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get started. Father, as we come this evening, we do thank you so much for your wonderful love and care for us for this time together in your word. We do ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us. It is our desire as new creatures to not only walk with you in the perfection of holiness, uh, but understand how you think about whatever we run, to, run into as we uh, walk in this world. So we do look to you for wisdom, and we do so in faith, knowing that Jesus Christ is our wisdom. Thank you for what you've done in us and what you're going to be doing in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, you'll notice in the introduction here, the foundational truth of the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord. And again, good place to start. Uh, the opening thoughts in uh, chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then all the way up there in chapter 31, verse 30, the passage that deals with the virtuous woman, it talks about the fear of the Lord again. Uh, Fourteen times it makes reference to the fear of the Lord in the book of Proverbs in between those two verses. And so, uh, especially when you get into the topical section, obviously this is something that is of uh, importance. So first of all, let's look at wisdom's first steps, the fear of the Lord, part one. Right now it looks like this may be a three-parter. Uh, there's a lot of information on the fear of the Lord. So letter A, the fear of the Lord involves a subject. So notice self-preparation for the involvement. Uh, letter A underneath number one, the Bible depicts people either fearing or not fearing the Lord. You go back to Abraham and uh, you think about some of the things that Abraham and Sarah went through together. Uh, first, there's a drought in the land. Now, remember, he's called from the Ur of the Chaldees. He comes over to a place that he doesn't know where he's going. God says, okay, you're here. Now, he was told, leave your family. He brought his father and his nephew, got up to um, Terran, and his father died there. So, you know, you got to have a burial and all that kind of stuff. And he brings Lot with him down into the land of Canaan. God lets him know, you're here. That's all there is. There's no more talking. And then there's a famine. Why do famines come? Is God in control of those things? Ah, famine in the land. So what does Abraham do? Leaning on his own understanding, he says, food in Egypt, let's go down there. Now, when he gets down there, he's approximately 75 years old. Uh, Sarah is approximately 65 years old, maybe a little bit older because of the traveling time. And uh, he says, Sarah, you are so cute, so beautiful. Let's tell everybody you're my sister. I mean, it's not really a lie. You're my half-sister, okay? And uh, that way, no one will kill me to get at you. Sarah says, okay, you know. And before she knows it, she is in Pharaoh's harem. 
kind of like, oh man, can you imagine what that guy did to me this time? Well, you'd think that they would have learned because they ultimately get called out by Pharaoh for this because God reveals the situation. And so after a while, they've gotten rich. They move back up into the land. They've gotten so rich that Lot and Abraham have to separate because they've got too many sheep. Uh, Lot, in his selfishness, looks at the valley of the Jordan and says, yeah, I want that. And Abraham says, hey, whatever, just you go over there and I'll go over here type thing. When Lot is finally out of his house, guess what happens? God revisits him. My whole point of that story is he only said this is the land. He didn't tell him all the things that he ends up telling him after he's gotten rid of Lot. Why? Maybe it's because he wasn't supposed to bring Lot in the first place. Now, Lot benefited from that. Uh, Peter calls Lot a righteous man. Now, mind you, he does say his righteous soul being vexed because of the choices that he made. But when Abraham is finally completely obedient, God says, hey, go to the north, the east, the south, the west, doesn't matter where you go, wherever your footsteps, it's all yours. Look at the stars in the heaven. You're going to have that many uh, descendants. And Abraham's going, okay. Well, before long, life happens a little bit more. So he ends up moving over into the land of the Philistines, into an area where Abimelech, Abimelech is not his name, it's actually his title, kind of like Pharaoh, okay? But uh, he talks to his wife again, says, you know, you're so cute. These guys, they have no fear of the Lord. They're going to kill me just to get at you. So let's just tell everybody you're my sister. And she goes, okay. Sure enough, where does Sarah end up? In Abimelech's harem. And again, God reveals that whole thing. But notice uh, letter I underneath letter A. Abraham knew Abimelech's people did not fear the Lord. Genesis 20 verse 11. Uh, in Exodus 9.30, Moses knew that the Egyptians did not yet fear the Lord. And this is about the time of the ninth plague. Uh, let me read that verse for you. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not uh, yet fear the Lord God. Okay, so they've been through how many plagues? They've been through disaster upon disaster upon disaster, and they still haven't figured it out. Hey, God's in charge, and if you don't straighten up, there's going to be more trouble yet to come. But Moses knew they hadn't figured it out yet. And then in Exodus 14, 31, now this is after they have left Egypt and Pharaoh's army, it says here, when Pharaoh's army was defeated, the people of Israel, they finally figured a few things out. And they had the fear of the Lord. They, they were somewhat in awe. Notice it says in 1431, Thus Israel saw the great work which the God had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now the terrible thing about the fear of the Lord in the nation of Israel was this was after ten plagues. They had been delivered from Egypt they had gone through the Red Sea. They had seen the Shekinah glory, a cloud, a pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, keeping Egypt, uh, Egypt's army away from them. They get all the way through. The army follows them in. Boom. They see all of that, and now they're going, dude, God's pretty awesome, you know? How long did that last? 
We've been out here for three days, and we don't have any food. We don't have any water. And they're complaining and complaining and complaining. The fear of the Lord is not something that necessarily stays just because of a great wonder that one has seen. And then number four here, God commands Israel to fear the Lord. Let me read a couple of verses. Leviticus 19.14, You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Now, now what is that saying? Since God is the maker of every one, including the deaf and the blind, we, in awe and reverence of him, must treat them with the proper respect. Yeah, I find it interesting. You know, I've been here since 1993 with a little stint down in Brazil. But I find it interesting that God brings to us some high-need people from time to time. Uh, we've had Gina Lamacchia. You might remember her. Uh, she had some um, issues, neurological issues, where she would have, um, what are they called? Seizures, thank you. And in her seizure, she was still kind of conscious, but she would do things that were very, very inappropriate at that time because she's not in her right mind at that time. Uh, we had Tim Condon. Uh, Tim, 50-some-odd years old, had the mindset of about an 8- to 12-year-old and, uh, you know, high need. He, he wanted attention. He wanted love. Um, we have at least one, and one might say possibly two, that come now. Um, some of you know who they are. Others, well, you'll figure it out. Uh, but the reality is, is what is God trying to teach us? You know, he's the maker of those people, and we need to give them the proper respect, the co proper care, because that is what happens when you uh, have a fear of the Lord. Um, Leviticus, uh, I mean, uh, 1932. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of the old man and fear your God, I am the Lord. The respect for the elderly. Something that you will see in other cultures. In Brazil, when you go to a party, they introduce you to everyone, their uncle, their second cousin, their dog, and you have to give everybody a kiss on the cheek, shake their hand, whatever the case may be. But whenever... Like, my hair is a little bit gray, so if I were going to go there, the young people would stand up, put their hands together, and, and bow like that. Kind of like, why? It's more tradition, more part of their culture, and you can talk about its background. But that's exactly what God said that young people should do. Look at where we are today. I want you old codgers to just hurry up and die. You know, let us take over. <laughs> be kind of fearful of that. <laughs> uh, how about Leviticus twenty-five seventeen? Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So oppression. I know in today's day and age, uh, there are those who think that if your skin is white, you're an oppressor, and if your skin is black, you are oppressed. Uh, obviously, the ones that we normally see that think they're oppressed or are making, what, $40 million a year. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think they're oppressed. <laughs> and of course, if someone of their likeness says they're not oppressed, well, there's something wrong with that person. 
Kind of like, wow. But oppression can be a real thing, and it's not to be done. Why? Because God is the maker of that person, and who are you? Again, respecting God. Deuteronomy 6.13, You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him, and shall take oaths in his name. Uh, and again, we don't want to get into the oath-taking uh, business as believers. Let our yea be yea and our nay be nay, that kind of a thing. Speak the truth and then do it. But uh, for Israel, this was one of the things, and it was all part of the fear of the Lord. So notice letter B, the fear of the Lord is an individual thing. It cannot be done for you. What do I mean by that? Well, let's move on to number two, stop and think. God did not address the priests alone. There was no special subset of people that God said, y'all need to fear me, and then you know, maybe everybody else will fall in line. It was a blanket statement to everybody, okay? And notice it involves personal involvement. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 34, this is the latter part of the new covenant. It says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember uh, their sin I will remember no more. Whole point being is everyone is responsible for themselves before the Lord as far as knowing him. And in this future time, when the new covenant is implemented, they all are going to know him. And in knowing him, there's going to be that fear of the Lord. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he himself gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So notice it, God gives leadership to teach all of the individuals so that they can be prepared for the work of the ministry. Again, it is a, uh, an individual thing. It cannot be done for you. In this day and age, um, I, I know I've told you that I have been reading about four uh, A.W. Tozer books lately. The reality is, is one of the A.W. Tozer's books has three books in it, so I'm on the third book. So I've actually read two of them already. I'm um, working on a few others. And um, A.W. Tozer uh, talks about the evangelical church of his day. He, he passed in uh, 1963. So um, we're talking 60 years ago. Uh, so the books that he write, wrote uh, are between 48, I believe, and uh, 60. Um, he wrote quite a few books, too. But in his books, he talks about the evangelical church. Now, most people would consider us to be part of the evangelical church. One of the complaints that he had about the evangelical church back in the 50s and maybe early 60s was um, they were getting away from worship and into entertainment. Hmm. I wonder what he would think today. He actually writes in one of his books, I hope I'm alive when the evangelical church dies. I'm like, whoa, what on earth? And it was because 
though people may have understood certain doctrines, they did not grasp the fact of their own responsibility before God to give an account for their life. Church became something that you did on Sunday morning, and the spiritual people, the pastors, they did the work of the ministry. Oh, what's changed? Not much. Um, when, when we talk about good works, we've been saved unto good works. Let's define a good work. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. That would indicate that though you may be very, very intelligent, you can read the Bible, you can prepare a Sunday school lesson, you can teach a Sunday school lesson, that is not a good work if it's just you. Um, uh, there was another verse that popped in my head and it went over to the other side and I can't find it right now. Oh, well, <laughs> whole point being is a good work is that which is done in the power of the Spirit. Without that power, oh yeah, Isaiah, what does uh, God say about our good works? They are nothing but filthy rags and we won't get into the discussion as to what he means by that. Just understand there's nothing we can do, even after salvation, that is pleasing to God unless it's done in the Spirit. Well, the first question that comes to mind is, well, then how do we do these things in the Spirit? Whoa, if we're asking that question, it seems as though we've missed a vital, important part of our Christian life. Why? Because it's just so much easier to make sure that we know the right things, and we're not doing the bad things, but maybe we can make excuses for some of the things we do, and we do church instead of walk in this relationship that we have with God. Just some things to consider there. We are called to do the fear of the Lord as individuals. Letter B, uh, the fear of the Lord also involves an object. Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this, e uh, this evening. Uh, next week, we'll get into a little bit more. But notice the name of God. In most of your English Bibles, you're going to see a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And sometimes you'll find a capital G, capital O, capital D. Uh, this is the normal translation for uh, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Okay? Now, it might be Yahweh. Um, it is used... 6,823 times in the Old Testament. Obviously, God wants his name used. Now, unfortunately, people go to Leviticus 24, 16. Let me read it for you. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Okay? Now they look at that and they use it as a blanket prohibition of the use of Yahweh. Jews, when reading the Old Testament, when they came to Yahweh, uh, they will substitute Elohim or Adonai. They will not say Yahweh because they may use it in a profane manner, therefore blaspheming the name of the Lord. It's kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're reading the Word of God and God puts Yahweh in there, what would be wrong with using Yahweh? Uh, I'm a Gentile. I don't know. Okay? So notice letter B, the encasement of tradition remains until today. 
The Hebrew alphabet is all consonants, no vowels. Vowel points were introduced around 900 AD. By the way, this is one of the ways that the Muslims say that man has corrupted the Old and the New Testament. About 900 AD, they put these vowel points in. Uh, so the less educated in the Hebrew language might be able to know how that word's actually supposed to go. Now, here's the funny thing. What is the name of the first guy ever created? What is the name of a guy who was given his name because of his coloring, and his coloring was red? Well, his other name. Edom. Guess what? The word Edom and the word Adam, exactly the same word in Hebrew. We say Edom because of the vowel pointing. Whether they were trying to make a differentiation or what, I don't know. What I can tell you is that what did God make Adam from? The dirt of the ground, right? Imagine there might be a little bit of clay in there, and maybe there was a reddish tint to that guy. Interesting. Okay, something to think about. We don't know. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> Whole point being is vowel pointing was added around 900 A.D., so Yahweh uh, received vowels pronounced Yahweh or later Yahweh. Uh, and since the Germans usually did most of the translation work back in the 1800s or so, um, we hear about Jehovah. Uh, it's because they don't do the Y's so well. Okay? And so uh, it, maybe it's not Volkswagen. Maybe it's Jokeswagen. I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> so Jehovah. Uh, number four here, the English translations perpetuate the tradition by capitalizing the letters Lord and God. Uh, notice Isaiah 40, 28 in the New King James compared to the uh, Holman Christian Standard Version. Let me read them for you. New King James. Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Okay, now I, I don't have a problem with that translation. But listen to uh, Isaiah 40, 28 in the HC, uh, HCSV. Do you not know, have you not heard, Yahweh is the everlasting God? That's really the only difference. The creator of the whole earth, he never grows faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. Now, were they right by making it Yahweh instead of Lord? No, they're trying to make a differentiation between their translation and the other one. But Yahweh is an anglicized version of the Hebrew word. We don't do that with most of the things when we're doing translations. Okay, But uh, if you think about it, Christ is an anglicized version of Christos, a Greek word. Um, Jesus is the Greek word for Jesus. So, same thing. Uh, okay? So, uh, with that in mind, why do we put the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? Uh, I don't know. But notice, Yahweh probably best translates the self-existent one. In the book of Exodus, he says, I am that I am. I'm the self-existent one. Uh, but, of course, it's a lot easier to say Lord. So maybe that's why they do it. Number two, the opposing view. Some say 
the use of Yahweh uh, rather than the general term Elohim is not significant. Uh, it just means the national deity of the Jews who regard him as the supreme and only God. And that guy is Crawford H. Toy. Uh, he said something along those lines. I kind of summarized it because of space. Uh, notice the next letter B. The mention of the God of Israel, Yahweh, is made more in the form of a concession. We could easily substitute the more general phrase, the fear of God, or even of the deity, for the expression, the fear of Yahweh, without facing the problem of uh, the identity of the deity to which reference was made. The expression could be equated to a popular saying, a bit of religion never hurt anyone. That's all the fear of the Lord meant to this guy. Okay, J. Alberto Soggins. So what's the main point here? A personal name brings the focus down tight and specific. Example, the book. That's general. The book, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. That's specific. So when, you, when you're looking at the fear of the Lord, you're talking about a specific person, not just some deity out there, okay? In essence, Solomon is saying the true God has revealed himself. If you want true wisdom, you must start with him on his revealed terms. You must have a vital, living relationship with the one true God. Uh, in marriage counseling recently, as well as in Sunday school today, I figured it was a good enough lesson for marriage counseling. It's a good enough lesson for Sunday school. Um, I dealt with the doctrine of spiritual growth. And, you know, we would like to be able to say, here's where I'm starting, there's where I'm going, there's this straight line. I'm growing, 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 everything's going good, da 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 da. What really happens? Well, very often, uh, we, are, we receive revealed truth. We kind of get excited about that revealed truth. We're rejoicing in that revealed truth. And before you know it, we kind of get a little lax, a little overconfident, and we fall on our face in spite of the revealed truth. At which point, there's a contriteness of our heart. We get things right with God. And then the Spirit of God opens our eyes and our hearts to more truth. And we like that. We're rejoicing in that truth. And then we get a little confident and we fall on our face and then there's contriteness of heart. And then there's some more revealed truth, so on and so on and so forth. It's like one of these things, okay? And uh, it may be on the rise as we go, but that's usually how it goes. Now, why is that important? Why, do, why did Israel have a fear of the Lord at the east side of the Red Sea, and a couple of weeks later, it was gone. I mean, there's some revealed truth there. Oh boy, God destroyed the enemies. Uh, you know, he took us out of Egypt. We never have to worry about them coming and getting us again. Wow, isn't God awesome? I'm hungry. I mean, that's about as, how long that lasted. And, and I would have to say that the reality is, is once again, we operate more based on what's going on around us instead of uh, our true understanding of who he is and what he's like. Uh, notice what I said here in letter B. You must have a vital living relationship with the one true God. 
when you have that, the fear of the Lord is not going to be so much of a problem. So what does vital in living mean? Well, it's uh, obviously you can have a relationship with God and maybe it's not so vital. You want an example? You get married, the honeymoon stage is on, you're happy, and then what happens? After a little while, those rose-colored glasses get a little bit clearer and you see who you're with and what they're like and the things that they do that irritate you. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, uh, Lord, I'm not so sure this was a good thing. Mind you, God said it was a good thing, right? A man finds a wife, he finds a good thing. And we know the men aren't complaining so much. It's the women that are complaining. Oh, let's not go there either, right? Whole point being is, when you hopefully grow through that, and I say hopefully because I've done enough marriage counseling, but when you hopefully grow through that, you start seeing the other person as important. You want to do what's necessary to please them. You get back to not the rose-colored glasses, but actually having a love and an appreciation for that other person. You're actually working on making this relationship work. What happens in our Christian lives? Very often we receive that uh, truth. We're rejoicing in that truth. Isn't this neat? And then after a little while, life happens, and we kind of grow a little cold, or if you will, lukewarm about that revealed truth. And it's not so vital anymore. That's a common thing. And when you grow through some of that stuff, you start working on that relationship. Imagine if you were to work on that relationship earlier. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I'm not as far along in my Christian walk as I should be. Kind of like, who's walking that walk? You are. Why aren't you further along? Well, you know, I'm not very disciplined with my quiet time. I hardly ever memorize scripture. If I can find a good football game, I might not go to church. Oh, so, so who's, the, who's doing that again? You are. So why aren't you further along? Because you're you. Oh. So, no, you shouldn't be further along unless you want to change. And how do you change? You submit yourself to God in that vital relationship and you work on it. And he works on you. And you see what he's doing as him working on you instead of kicking against the goads, if you will. So those are important things there. Let us see the content of the fear of the Lord. First of all, it involves revelation. There is much to learn. Letter A, this is not speaking necessarily of emotion. When we say the fear of the Lord, uh, emotion may be included, but it may not because it's not talking about emotion, okay? I'll give you some examples. Open in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, the rest of our evening, we're going to actually be looking at some passages and uh, uh, examining a couple of things here. So Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 14. Uh, let's start with verses 1 through 3. Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow, so that you may live, enter, and take possession of the land. 
Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command you or take away anything uh, from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord your God I am giving you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did to Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed every one of you who followed Baal of Peor. Okay? So notice what he's saying. Hold tight to the Word of God. Okay? Grasp what I'm giving you and hang on to it. This is important stuff. Okay? Verses 4 and 5. But you who have, have remained faithful to the Lord your God are all alive today. Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. So this is equated to holding tight. Uh, you're learning the stuff and you're doing the stuff. How does James put it? But, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Okay? Uh, verses 6 through 8. Carefully follow them, for this will show you wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, This great nation is indeed wise and understanding people. For what great, na great nation is there that has a God near to, uh, to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? So verses 6 to 8, uh, emphasis on possession of verbal revelation as the source of national wisdom and that which separated them from the nations. Uh, read last night um, a statement by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We as Christians should live in such a way that those who don't believe in God question their unbelief. Did you catch that? We can, but he says we should live in such a way. This is not much different than First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But consecrate the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in you. Now, I, I shortened that verse a little bit. I'm not taking away from God's word. I just summarized it to, uh, for shortness, and then I explained all this stuff for length. Uh, <laughs> but whole point being is, when we consecrate the Lord God in our hearts, when we seek first the kingdom of God, when we have the fear of the Lord, our life demonstrates that in such a way that someone's going to say, why are you doing that? At which point you can give a reason for the hope that you have in you. Not the, well, you know, God, he's kind of mean, and so if I don't follow these rules, he might hit me upside the head. No, 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 no. Hey, someday Jesus is coming back, and he's going to change this lowly body, and he's going to give me a body that's without pain, without sin, and I'd be more than happy to do all the things he wants me to do. That's basically what uh, Deuteronomy uh, 4, 6, 8 is saying here live it, follow it in such a way that the people looking in from the outside say, whoa, these people are wise people. And they've got this God that actually talks to them and answers them in prayer and stuff like that. Uh, that's basically what he's saying. Now verses 9 and 10. Uh, verse 9 is up there. Only be on your guard and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen and so that they don't slip for, uh, from your mind as long as you live. 
Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Assemble the people before me, and I will let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. So verses 9 and 10, you must hold tight to the, their encounter with God. Now, for some of us, we kind of came to know the Lord over a period of time, and somewhere in the rush, it kind of went in, bounced around a few times, and stuck. Other people, they remember the day they were called forward in an invitation, they said a prayer, and all of a sudden they're going, whoa, this is great. However your encounter with God was, you hang on to it. What do I mean? Well, I find it amazing that when we talk about our salvation, especially when we look at our condition, not our position, but our condition, very often we sit there and say, wow, you know, sometimes I wonder if I'm saved. Well, what are you trusting in? See, what did I need to trust in order to be saved? I needed to trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I need to be trusting today? I need to be trusting in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all very, very important day after day after day. So remember your encounter with the Lord is basically what he's saying there. Notice, fear is not merely an emotion. The fire would have done that. Uh, here they are on the mountaintop, and there's fire, and there's thunder, and I mean, these people were shaking in their boots at times. In fact, so much so, it's kind of like, hey, Moses, you, you listen to the Lord. We'll be down here waiting for you. you. You can tell us what he said. See, that's emotion, okay? Um, this is not what he's talking about. Fear is something that's learned and uh, requires revelation. Notice what it says back here in verse uh, 10 about the middle of the verse, towards the end of the verse, he says, uh, and I will let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. Okay, it's something that's learned. In verses uh, 12 through 14, recognizing the focus, verse 12 says, then the Lord spoke to you from the fire. You kept hearing the sound of the words, but didn't see a form. There was only a voice. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At the time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land you are about to cross into and possess. Recognize what the focus is here. They heard the words. They saw no form. He gave you the Ten Commandments, and he gave Moses statutes and rules to teach you, verse 15, and no, uh, verse 14, notice verse 15, for your own good, be extremely careful, because you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of the fire at Horeb. Once again, no form, only the Word of God. So if someone is going to learn the fear of the Lord, the Word of God is what is going to be important. Okay? So brings, uh, that brings us to Deuteronomy 31. Nine to 13. 
Uh, let me see. 9 to 11, we'll start with. Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests and the sons of Levi who carried the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and to all the elders of Israel. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years at the appointed time in the year of debt cancellation during the festival of booths when all Israel assembles in the pe- uh, presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all of Israel. So notice, he commanded the Levites to read God's word to the people at national assemblies. Once again, the public reading of the word of God, this is one of the reasons why we do the um, responsive reading, uh, because God says do it, so we still do. Why is that important? Well, notice, for the purpose that they may, verse 12, let's take a look. Verse 12 says, as soon as I can find it, because those little numbers, you know. Gather the people, men and women, children and foreigners living within your gates, so that they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of this law. For the purpose that they may hear, learn, and fear the Lord and be careful to observe all the words of the law. Once again, being doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 13, and there it is. Then their children who do not know the law will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So for the purpose that they may teach their children to hear and learn the fear of Yahweh. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. We're supposed to be doers of the word so that our kids learn how to be doers of the word. If, like Tozer said, we're for the most part wrapped up in entertainment and doing church, not a vital living relationship, what do our kids learn about the fear of the Lord? It's not that important. Oh. Why might we be losing so many kids when they go off to college? It's not that important. That's what they learn. Ouch. Note the emphasis. The children who have not known it. Okay, they're hearing and learning the fear of the Lord. They didn't know it. In other words, it's something that is taught. It's something that's learned. It's something that's taught not only by telling, but by demonstrating. Okay, turn with me to Psalm 119. Oh, one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible. Um, (laughs) Wow, 176 verses. I think it's all but... Two say something about the Word of God in it. Um, some people believe that it was Ezra that wrote it, uh, which you think about Ezra, that guy, he knew some stuff. He actually uh, lined up uh, the Old Testament the way you'll find it in the Hebrew Bible today. Okay, Psalm 119, verse 38 says... Go back one page. There we go. The decrees you issue are righteous and altogether trustworthy. 
Uh, that's the Holman, I think, in the uh, uh, New King James. It says something along the lines, Establish your word which produces reverence or the fear of you. God's word produces a right attitude toward God. Friday night we were in the Tozer's book, uh, The Dangers of a Shallow Faith. And he talked about four idols that... Uh, unfortunately, uh, or falsehoods that, uh, unfortunately, people buy into in the church. Uh, one of them was have a faulty theology, the, a faulty understanding of who God is. That was ultimately going to lead to a faulty understanding of who men are. Uh, another one was going to be a faulty understand of, uh, understanding of the work of the Spirit. And then I think the last one was of uh, Christ. The reality is, is in every cult that you'll find around the world that is Christian in its orientation, they have a misunderstanding of uh, the person or work or and work of Christ, okay? Uh, but see, we don't have that problem here, right? Can I say that we as Christians have a hard time believing in the depravity of man? Why do we have such a problem with the believing in the depravity of man? You know, we get saved and we, we, we put off all those really bad sins. Uh, we make excuses for the ones that we keep for a while. Um, but the reality is, is we don't think that we're that bad. Because see, if we really believed that we were that bad, we'd probably be crying out to God saying, Lord, I can't do this. Help. Whether you want to use the word help or teach me the things I need to know so that I can, you know, however you want to say it. The reality is, is for the most part, we think we can do it. And we call on God if and when we need him. That's a belief that there's something good in you. Another way it's demonstrated, we don't believe that we need to discipline our children. And I recognize, you know, um, I, I've got one of those kids who, well, our dad spanked us. Yeah, but I only ever gave you three swats. Your mom, she whooped on you. <laughs> no, uh, the reality is, is uh, parents aren't perfect. And if your parents spanked you, um, sometimes they probably did it in the wrong way. I understand. Okay? I'm probably guilty of it. And I'm not probably. I was guilty of it at times. Sometimes they got spankings because I was embarrassed by their behavior. Sometimes they got spankings when I was angry. Shouldn't have done it. Not a thing I can do about it today. Okay? But the reality is, is there was the need for the times when they were being foolish. Not childish. Foolish. That the rod was going to... The, excuse me. The Board of Education applied to the seat of knowledge was going to help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Though as we study Proverbs, that's one of the things we're going to see. Now, it is when they're being foolish, and some parents spanked for everything. I recognize, okay? But the reality is, is why don't we use spankings in this day and age? And I know I'm making a general statement. Uh, not everybody follows that, but a lot do. Why? Well, we don't believe in capital, I mean corporal punishment, whichever one applies, because <laughs> um, we don't think our kids are that bad, and, and they just need a little bit more love, and, and it'll all work out. Well, I hope that works for you. I, I really do. Uh, 
but I know the depravity of man, and that's not good enough. Okay? And if it does work out, it'll be because of God's grace, not because you did it right. Just like as my kids have, for the most part, turned out okay, it wasn't because I spanked. It was because of God's grace, okay? Whoa. All right, so uh, with that in mind, we understand that there are times when uh, God has revealed everything that we need for life and godliness in this Bible, and if we're in it, it's going to produce a right attitude about God. Notice His Word reveals Him, His mind, His ways to us, His content to our faith. See, our faith isn't something that we work up in us. It is based on what He says. And we believe what he says. One of the lessons in the uh, doctrine of spiritual growth is the Spirit of God, yes, can do whatever he desires, but he does not do what he doesn't tell you he will do, and he doesn't do what he told you he wouldn't do. And when you see how some of the people in other churches deal with the Spirit of God, and maybe sometimes here too, uh, the reality is, is we expect God to do stuff that God never said he was going to do. Or God has specifically told us he won't do stuff, and we expect him to do it anyway. Whoa. Okay, so that brings us to John chapter 8. All the way up in the New Testament, John chapter 8. Uh, if you ever read this passage out loud, somewhere in a rush, you're, you're probably going to get a little loud in the discussion because this looks like a pretty heated argument between Jesus and some of the Jewish people of his day. In verses 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed, notice that? They had believed. If you continue in my word... You really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay? So, number one, to be set free, you need to know the truth. Number two, to know the truth, you must be students of Jesus, or if you will, disciples. Number three, to be students or disciples of Jesus, you must continue in his word. Wow. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, again, it is based on a vital living relationship with God based upon his word, what he has revealed. And as we continue in that word, notice what Jesus says in John 15. If you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you will bear much fruit. Interesting. Last point, letter F. The true seeker of wisdom will look to God's word. Let me read a couple of verses here for you. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your Lord, uh, law. Uh, A.W. Tozer's testimony is that he would spend 8 to 12 hours a day on his knees with the Word of God open before him. He will have studied a passage. He will have prayed about that passage and then waited upon the Lord to enlighten his eyes so that he, he would have good understanding. If you have read the knowledge of the holy, I think you would conclude 
that he had some pretty good understanding. Okay? And then Hebrews 3, 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice. See, the fear of the Lord, we think of it as an Old Testament context, uh, con. Uh, structure or an Old Testament subject topic. The reality is, is if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if you consecrate the Lord God in your heart, and, and there's uh, several other ways of saying this, if you're diligently adding to your faith, he goes on to say, gives you a list of things that you can add to your faith. And then he says, if these things are yours and increasing, you will neither be, there's two descriptions. I only ever remember one. You will not be unfruitful in your knowledge of God. Well, what is faith based on? He that believeth that God is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's all part of the fear of the Lord. It's having a, a proper reverence for the one that's there on the throne, and I'm down here, I'm not on the throne of my life or anybody else's, and I need him for everything. So, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, will you listen? How does he talk to you? Through the Word. Are you in the Word? Some of my Bible studies, I ask that question from time to time. How many times have you been in the Word this week? Well, you know, it was kind of busy, so, you know, I think I had devotions once. Well, I actually had it four times this week. Well, hallelujah, you had it four times. Okay, you only had it once. Let's try for three this time. It's not a matter of judgment. It's a matter of this is important. Make it a part of your life. The more you do so, the more that vital living relationship becomes real, and the more you're going to have an understanding and a reverence for who God is, how much you need Him, and you'll be demonstrating the fear of the Lord. Uh, next week, we'll look at a few more things of what the fear of the Lord involves, and then we'll look at some of the benefits of the fear of the Lord also. Let's close in prayer, and we will let you go until Wednesday. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. Thank you that you are a loving, merciful gracious God. But at the same time, you are holy and just. And Lord, we, get, we need to get to know you better. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We ask, Lord, that as we spend time in your word this week, open our eyes, open our hearts to the things that you have for us, and teach us the fear of the Lord, that we may walk in a way that honors and glorifies you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.